Hello, my Rebels. i got great news for you. I know you've been waiting for this. George Soros has decided to enter the fact-checking business. He's going to pour millions of dollars into uh, telling you what is or isn't good information. I'm not even kidding. That's the name of his new company, the Good Information Corp. It's so funny. Anyway, I'll take you through it. I'll take you through the announcement and some of the quirks in it. Uh, before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. Eight bucks a month, not a big deal. You get this show every day. Plus Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies, and Andrew Chapados. They have weekly shows. And by the way, we don't take a dime from Soros <coughs> or the government and never will. That's why we need your eight bucks. So thanks for being generous. Here's today's show. Tonight, George Soros wants to decide what's fake news or not. It's October 27th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. We've talked about the concept of fake news and misinformation and fact-checking. None of those words were normal until five or six years ago. They were all invented to attack Donald Trump. Now, Trump's no dummy. He used this, the phrase fake news. He weaponized it right back, especially about CNN. The attack of fake news and, and attacking our network, I, I just want to ask you, sir. I'm changing it from fake news, though. Do, doesn't that undermine? Very fake news. I yeah. know, but aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Uh, real news, Mr. President. Real news. But to Trump, calling something fake news, that's just sparring. That's just an insult, arguing, banter. He didn't actually censor or silence anyone or have any media investigated. In fact, it's hard to believe such a thing happening in Canada, but Trump would always, and I mean every day, several times a day sometimes, call upon his roughest critics in the media, including and especially from CNN. He called them real fake news, but he would talk to them every day. So he used that insult as banter, but the establishment, the deep state, the big tech companies, the big media companies, they came up with the idea and really ran with it of fake news. It's a monstrous idea, really, to scientifically determine if some news or opinion is fake and then to do something about it. Now, there are some things we can all agree are fake and always have been. Forgeries, really, would be an obvious example. Impersonation, deliberate attempts to deceive. That's obviously very different from the problem of simply making errors, mistakes. That's not really a fake news problem when you're rushing with the news every day because it's, you know, like bread. It's best when it's fresh and it gets stale. When you're rushing the news, you're going to occasionally get things wrong. So you make a correction. Every newspaper does. It's actually a sign of credibility to acknowledge a mistake and correct it, of course. No one would really say that that is fake news. So fake news, as it's used these days, isn't about mistakes. And it's not really about forgeries or something extreme like that, deliberate lies. It's an attempt to denature and destroy and defame and disparage opinions and points of view that are neither true or false, they're just opinions, but this is an attempt to make them false. 
and it absolutely is the work of the deep state. You know, when I was a kid, I had a subscription to a magazine called Aviation Week and Space Technology. Now, I know that sounds super nerdy, but I actually didn't see it that way. It was how I, as a young boy, could get really cool pictures of really cool jet fighters every week pictures of planes from around the world, and I'd, I'd read the articles too. It was a trade magazine. These military companies and arms dealers actually had ads in it. It was a real news magazine, and it was in that magazine that I first encountered the military word disinformation. Not misinformation, which generally means a mistake or an error, but disinformation, deliberate misinformation. When I first read that word about 40 years ago, it was in the context of the U.S. government that would deliberately give out false information with a straight face to reporters about a fighter plane so that that false information would be reported in some way and the enemy would come to the wrong conclusions about something like what's the maximum speed of the new U.S. fighter jet or how far away could a new missile intercept a plane. Disinformation started as a military word. And I really hadn't heard the word used for the rest of my life until the deep state decided it needed to censor Trump and Trump supporters who had found a way to get around the left-wing media by using the internet. And since newspaper editors and TV and radio producers could no longer kill certain stories because they were being published by citizen journalists on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, whatever, they needed to invent a way to censor without calling it censorship. So they came up with the idea that Ideas that don't fit within their narrative were akin to disinformation. That it wasn't just private chatter or political campaigning or differences of opinion. It was malign and evil and foreign and military in nature. It was disinformation. And that ordinary people chatting about whatever, taxes, I don't know, price of gas, vaccines, that had to be treated the same way that Chinese or Russian spies had to be treated. You know the left went after talk radio, which is conservative in nature, by boycotting advertisers, but that didn't really work much because a lot of advertisers don't care about lefty boycotts. They tried regulatory attacks at the US FCC, Federal Communications Commission, the regulator, it's where people like Al Gore and his atrocious ex-wife Tipper would try to censor things. Canada's CRTC is worse. But the internet was free will enter the deep state and enter the invention of the whole new academic discipline of fake news. It's not academic. It's not scientific. It's not like engineering or accounting or physics or even biology. It's, it's made up gobbledygook designed to denormalize what your opponent's opinion is with a bunch of words to pretend that their ideas are measurably harmful. And that's what Trudeau's upcoming censorship bill is called, online harms. By the way, they deliberately mix in real harm, like terrorism or child pornography, with political opinion. But look at this. Exclusive, billionaires back new media firm to combat disinformation. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in any other era trusting billionaires to tell you what is or isn't appropriate for you to hear? I swear it feels like five minutes ago when everyone left and right would have been skeptical of an oligarch telling them what they can or can't hear. Now it's just normal. A new public benefit corporation backed by billionaires Reid Hoffman, George Soros and others is launching Tuesday to fund new media companies and efforts that tackle disinformation. George Soros? You mean this guy? While hundreds of thousands of Hungarian Jews were being shipped off to the death camps, 
George Soros accompanied his phony godfather on his appointed rounds, confiscating property from the Jews. These are pictures from 1944 of what happened to George Soros's friends and neighbors. You're a Hungarian Jew mm -hmm. who escaped the Holocaust mm -hmm. by posing as a, a Christian. Right. And you watched lots of people get shipped off to the death camps. Right. My understanding is, is that you went out with this protector of yours who swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yes, yes, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property yes. from the Jews. That's right. Yes. I mean, that's, that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? Uh, uh, not, not, not at all. No. No feeling of guilt. No. For example, that uh, I'm Jewish, uh, and here I am watching these people go. I could just as easily be there. I should be there. None of that. There was no sense that I shouldn't be there because uh, that was uh, guilt. Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? No. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to rely on a Nazi collaborator to tell me right and wrong. Uh, let me read some more. Why It Matters, Good Information, Inc. aims to fund and scale businesses that cut through echo chambers and with fact-based information. As part of its mission, it plans to invest in local news companies. You know, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fox News, CNN, they're not called Good Information, Inc. or The Truth Company or whatever. That's too on the nose. They have to earn their reputation. People can say about them, that's good information, or I trust them, or that's the truth. If you call yourself Good Information, Inc., chances are you're doing that because you're pretty sure people won't say that about you without you making them say it about you just to say your name. I think we are good information over here at Rebel News. Um, I think we tell the truth, but I'll let you make up your own mind about it. Imagine calling yourself Good Information. I mean... If I legally change my name to Mr. Handsome, do you think it'll suddenly make me handsome? Or do you think it'll sort of point out that I ain't? I'll read some more. The group will be led by Tara McGowan, a former Democratic strategist, oh, who previously ran a progressive nonprofit called Acronym. Acronym, pardon me, invested in for-profit companies that built media and technology solutions for progressive causes. That means left wing. It ran one of the largest digital campaigns to defeat President Trump in the 2020 election, totaling $100 million. Oh, well, the, the truth comes out. Good information means Democratic Party information. Got it. I'm sure these guys will be really even-handed. I'll read some more. One of the companies it invested in, called Shadow, made headlines last year for contributing to the delayed reporting of the Iowa caucus results. Shadow. Now that's a company that I believe is appropriately named. I'll read more. Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, backed acronym. Details. Good Information is launching with a multi-million seed investment led by Hoffman and joined by investors Ken and Jen Duda, Insight Ventures, and George Soros. We are disclosing our investors because we believe, especially right now in the environment of mistrust, that transparency is really important, McGowan said. We'll give them that. I mean, now you know. 
This fact checker they're proposing has the George Soros seal of approval. Normally I'd say that's actually useful. If Soros doesn't like it, I probably do, but that's not the only result of deeming something fake news, of course. If you call something fake news, that means it'll be kicked off of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc. It's not just an opinion. It's really a way to silence someone. I'll read more. Acronym faced a Federal Elections Commission complaint last year that alleged it wasn't transparent enough about Courier's backing. The complaint was eventually dropped. If I could do things differently, I would have been more transparent, McGowan said. <laughs> oh, wow. So um, they're, they're operators. They're shady operators, these folks. I'm sure they have no nefarious plans here. I'll read more. Good Information Inc. will invest in new businesses and solutions that tackle the disinformation crisis. Did you know we're in that? That could mean funding new or existing companies that boost news from existing news outlets. Do we really have a disinformation crisis? Maybe. I think the mainstream media is full of big pharma ads that don't call themselves ads. But what do I know? Is brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch, sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This weather report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. Yeah, something tells me that's not the disinformation crisis that Soros is talking about. Like the climate crisis, it's really in the eye of the beholder. Although backed and launched by progressives, McGowan says the group could make investments in entities across the political spectrum, so long as their editorial standards support fact-based information. Sure. Let me know when Breitbart News, Rebel News are relied on as the fact checkers, not the targets of the Soros fact checkers. Actually, don't. Don't. Because look at that. They will, quote, make investments in entities across the political spectrum. That's another way of saying they'll pay off broke or greedy conservatives to make them comply. I mean, to be perfectly candid, do you doubt that, God forbid, in some alternative universe, if I flew to Ottawa one day, put on a mask, bent the knee, and bowed down and kissed the ring of Justin Trudeau and promised to be a good boy and to do what he says. Do you really doubt I would get an investment from him too, just like the 99% of the rest of the media? Of course I would. And all I would have to do is sell my soul. I absolutely believe George Soros is going to offer a bunch of conservative media money. I mean, seriously, what's $10 million to him. He could probably bribe his way into a dozen so-called conservative media companies to undermine them. I mean, look at this joke. This is right in the story. She points to The Bulwark, a center-right news site founded in opposition to Trumpism as an example of the type of center-right news outlet it could fund. The information crisis we're in is so much bigger than politics, McGowan said. The Bulwark? Talk about fake news. Those are fake conservatives who took big cash to bash Trump. It was so evident 
they found the price point where they would sell their soul. No one really believes the bulwark is conservative. They're conservatives who work for Democrats. That's just, you know, a false flag. It's like the Lincoln Project. They're just in it for the money. There are plenty of prostitutes on both sides of the aisle. Soros' plans for undermining the right is probably more likely to succeed than just attacking the right. It's like when my old friend Preston Manning took money from the Tides Foundation to appear in an environmentalist anti-oil event. If you're dealing with a, an audience that's skeptical about climate change or, or, or carbon pricing and that, and start somewhere else then. That principle can apply to garbage, it can apply to industrial waste, it can apply to water shortage, it can apply to traffic congestion, but get that principle uh, inculcated and, and practice. And I think that's one of the economic solutions to the problem. Yeah, I was very sad to see that. I'll read the end of the story here. The big picture. It's the latest example of investments by billionaires targeting disinformation. Craig Newmark, the founder of Craigslist, has invested millions to support factual reporting through his nonprofit, Craig Newmark Philanthropies. Steve Ballmer, former Microsoft CEO, founded USA Facts, a nonprofit designed to make accurate data accessible and understandable in 2017. Lorene Powell Jobs has invested in several journalism organizations, including Axios, through her investment group, Emerson Collective. What's next? McGowan says that the group's goal in the next year is to raise more awareness about immediate solutions to counter disinformation before it spreads. You know, I like the late Steve Jobs. I think everyone does. He was the brilliant man who made Apple, which improved so many people's lives. His widow, Lorene Powell Jobs, well, her main accomplishment was marrying Steve Jobs and outliving him, so now she takes his billions and spends them on extreme left political causes from the Democrat Party to global warming groups, not that she doesn't fly in a private jet herself, are you kidding? So yeah, all these tech billionaires going to counter disinformation before it spreads. Will that include disinformation about them, about George Soros, about Steve Ballmer and his colleague Bill Gates? Are we still going to be allowed to talk about Bill Gates and his twisted friendship with Jeffrey Epstein? Or is that considered def disinformation? You know, I read it in the New York Times. I know why the Americans engaged in disinformation in the Cold War. To deceive Russian spies. I think that was a good idea. It was war. But when ordinary Americans and Canadians talk about politics, that's not disinformation. And we don't need the government or evil billionaires with the power of government we don't need bored heiresses telling us that what we believe and what we think is fake. Stay with us for more. Well, the other day we talked to Randy Hillier, who's been a longtime conservative MPP uh, in the Conservative Party of Ontario. Of course, he was thrown out of that party because it's not a very safe place for conservatives these days, especially one who's a lockdown uh, skeptic like Randy Hillier. One of the things I said to Randy, if you recall, was, look, there are other people who are like-minded, at least to a degree. There's some overlap. People who have dissented uh, with Doug Ford on his lockdowns, for example, Roman Baber in the greater Toronto area. Is it possible that the various dissenters can come together and find common ground and actually form some sort of a coherent challenge to Doug Ford from the right? 
It's an idea that Randy Hillier said he was open to. Uh, what a pleasure to be joined today by another one of those skeptical, critical, former Conservative Party MPPs. And I'm talking about the MPP from Cambridge, Ontario, Belinda Karahelios, who joins us now via Skype. Belinda, great to see you again. How are you doing these days? Good to see you, Ezra. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm fine, and I'm interested because I know that uh, you and your husband, Jim, have uh, created a new party called the New Blue Party. And uh, I, you sit as an independent MPP in the legislature, but you're affiliated with that party. Let me ask you the same question I asked Randy, which is I look around and I see a number of people who at least have some common ground. I mean, of course, each one of you has some differences, but the Venn diagram, as they say, the overlap of the circles, surely, if you all even compromise 10%, let's say, the sum of all the parts is greater than, the sum of the whole is greater than the sum of all the parts. Um, like, together, you would have more power. Am I wrong on that? No, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, that door is always open. As long as you're willing to show up to work and, and do some hard work, you're welcome in the new Blue Party of Ontario. And the great thing is that this party is up and running. You know, we've got our membership portal is open. Uh, we've got uh, writing associations in more than half uh, in Ontario. And the candidate uh, application portal will be open soon. So, you know, we've got a whole machine ready to go. So you're officially registered with Elections Ontario. You can issue tax credits for donations. So all that stuff is in hand? It's all done. And who is the leader of the New Blue Party? Is that you? Is that Jim? So Jim Carl is my husband, is the leader of the New Blue Party. Um, I think he is the best person for the job. I, I mean, a lot of people who know him know him well. Uh, and this is just, it, he... I would love to see this man in a debate with Doug Ford, and I think most of Ontario would as well, so I'm hoping for that day to come soon. I like Jim, and we've interviewed him a number of times on our channel before, but I'm putting myself in the shoes of Randy Hillier or Roman Baber, and I know that there was another MPP who was actually the deputy speaker who was thrown out by Doug Ford recently. So there's four or five of you, and I know enough about the nature and personality of politicians to know that everyone always thinks that they could be the big boss and that they're destined for that. And that may be one reason why they're not coming together with the new blue party. Uh, if Roman Baber and Randy Hillier and the others joined, and I'm putting myself in their shoes for a moment, they might say, well, Jim and Belinda set up the new blue party, but, and we're grateful to them for that, but maybe we should have a, an open leadership race. That's something that I'm just cooking up in my own mind, maybe on their mind. Would you be open to a leadership contest where you and Jim or Randy and all these others, because I'm guessing that may be an objection. Everyone wants to be the boss, and maybe you have a leadership primary within the party, and everyone sort of agrees to stick around even if they don't win. I don't, I'm just brainstorming here, don't mind me. What do you think no. of that idea? Well, of course. I mean, we have a great founding constitution and founding principles. Um, so I would encourage them to read that as well. But I don't think uh, Jim has ever said, like, no to a leadership contest. That's something we'd be open to. If, you know, get more uh, visibility for the party, get some membership sold. I think that's something that we would be open to. But again, um, we would need people to show interest first. Yeah. 
I, and I have no beef with Jim. I'm just, I mean, he should throw his hat in the ring, uh, uh, of course. Well, thank you for talking to me about that because it's on my mind. Whenever I see you and Roman Baber and Randy Hillier and the others, I just think, geez, a lot of good people. But splitism, you know, if everyone goes off in their own direction, you're probably missing out on some synergy, to use that jargon. Let me ask you about something more practical. Uh, can you explain for our viewers, especially for those not from the province on, of Ontario, what happened recently in the legislature about Bill 12? Tell yes. me what Bill 12 was and what happened to it and why that's a surprise. So Bill 12 was a private member's bill put forward by a Liberal member of Provincial Parliament, John Frazier, who represents the riding of Ottawa South. Um, and this bill said that if passed, it would mandate vac uh, COVID-19 vaccine for anyone who works in healthcare or education across the province. So currently, Doug Ford's rules say that um, each individual school board and healthcare institution can put in their own mandates, uh, whereas John's bill said that it would then be just across the board, across the province. So we got this bill. Um, it was short notice because we're at the beginning of a new session. And immediately we put a call to action out. And we told people to contact their MPP, whether it be by phone, by email, and let them know that they need to vote against Bill 12. So the day of the debate, which was last Wednesday, I believe it was, um, we saw that the PCs had one speaker to the bill. And, you know, the, it was Robin Martin, and she said that basically the government, you know, they're, they're proud of implementing these vaccine passports, and they're encouraging uh, hospitals and, and uh, school boards to, to implement them. Uh, so to, they're clearly okay with the premise. Um, but sure enough, when we had the recorded vote, the PC party, party voted against the bill, and, of course, the bill died. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Um... You know, I'd, I'd put that in the category of small comfort. I mean, it's being enforced by all the local institutions. This is just some liberal MPP who wanted a one-size-fits-all hammer to smash uh, the province from the legislature. I think the end effect is that you have a hundred small hammers smashing people instead of one giant hammer. Probably feels the same way to be smashed, whether it's your local authority or the province, but I suppose it's a victory. I mean, maybe it, it is a victory in that we were able to put political pressure on the PCs to say one thing and do the other, which they tend to be doing anyway. But in this case, they did the right thing, which was voting against the mandate. And they did not not so just once, but twice because the NDP put through a motion uh, and it was pretty much the same uh, language. And they voted against that as well the following day. So. While they have implemented rules that allows institutions to do their own, we know that provincially nothing is going to be mandated for now. Well, again, I'll you know I guess you got to count your wins uh, where you get them these days. So I, I would say that's a win, and that is interesting that uh, Robin Martin, the Conservative MPP, said one. It sounds like you're saying she said one thing and did another. Um, I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm I'm glad it happened. I'm glad that bill was shot down. Um, I, I just think that that is a, ba a very baby step and we are in a crisis. Let me ask you this. Um, are there any other Conservative MPPs, and I'm not asking you to name them, of course, are you in touch with any other members of the Conservative Party caucus who are uncomfortable with the way things are going? Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm familiar with some people who were uncomfortable for a while before they left or were kicked out. Uh, are there others within? And if so, what do you think their breaking points would be? 
So let me go back for a second. So, and you were talking about a simple, a small win. It, it shows the public that when they apply political pressure, that they can make change. I think this should give people a lot of hope. Um, and that to say that it's small, it kind of diminishes it a little bit because people did respond to the call to action and they did get the PCs to reverse course because it's very likely this would have gone through on a voice vote. Um, now, going back to that question, uh, yes, I do speak to others in the, the PC caucus. Um, I'm friendly with a number of them. And I know that a lot of them are uncomfortable with some of these rules and a lot of these rules. Uh, I don't know what the breaking point is going to be for these individuals. Um, you know, recently, uh, Lindsay Park, she just left based on the way she was treated uh, by the party. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations that are being put through without any debate within caucus even. And they're not happy. And I do hope that these individuals uh, pluck up the courage, so to speak, and and make a stand and and leave. Yeah, I hope so, too. I'm not sure uh, if that'll happen. I mean, a lot of these folks know what we all know, which is that running as an independent without a party blessing is extremely hard to win in an election. And unless you're in the twilight of your career or we're planning to leave anyways, um, you're really signing your own electoral ouster. Um, I mean, I can count on one hand's fingers the number of independents who have won in a, in a large vote. I mean, really, John Nunziata, when he opposed the GST, there really aren't very many. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould won, but then declined, declined to run again. It's so rare we actually remember them. I think that people are afraid to, to cross um, their party, of any party. But um, I suppose if the new blue party started to grow and, and put together a caucus, that might give people some hope. Listen, I'm, I'm glad to talk to you, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I take your point that Bill 10 was, was more than a nothing, so I congratulate you on that. And uh, I guess I'll end as I start, which is by saying that I hope that you and the other dissident former conservative MPPs, and there's like four or five of you now, I mean, you band together, that would be a real thing. That would be a real thing as opposed to just five lonely voices. So count me as someone saying, hey, guys, bring it together for the, not for your own interest, although it very much is in your own interest, but in the interest of providing some actual opposition. What frustrates me is that the conservatives, the liberals and the NDP, they're really, except for minor tweaks, they're indistinguishable on the major issues of the day. We need an yep. opposition party. That's my view. And, and I hope that you'll take it to heart. Don't mind me. I just giving you a little bit of personal thoughts on this thing. Last, last word to you, Belinda. And, well, I'd be happy to have the company on my side. Uh, it's a lot of work uh, right now. It just, uh, you know, I'm here all the time. I'm debating all the bills that I can. So I would love the help. I really would. Well, I hope it happens. Great to see you. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Keep up the fight and uh, pass on our best to Jim. I will. Thank you, Ezra. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. There you have it. Belinda Carajalios, an independent MPP from Cambridge, used to be with the Conservative Party. Now she's with the new Blue Party. Stay with us. More ahead. Welcome back. By the way, I'm sorry about yesterday's show. We had an audio error in it that we didn't catch until after we uploaded it. We've fixed that now. If you want to go back and watch that video, I apologize for that. And we've brought in a few new processes. Hopefully that won't happen again. Um, here's your feedback on the show. Bruce Atchison says, bullying is the right word for what's happening. Schoolyard punks give ultimatums just like the government and woke employers are doing. 
this really is a your money or your life situation. And I personally feel the same way about Trudeau's bullying as I did at school with the thug there. Yeah, it, if you're doing something under duress, I mean, I, I tell you, um, when, when a robber says your money or your life, that's technically a choice he's offering you and you're the one who said I'll choose to give you my money no but you're making that choice under duress and I think millions of Canadians are being forced under pain of losing their job which could mean losing their house losing you know their family could fall apart there's so many terrible things that could come and that's not uh, free and informed consent Corey Newcomb says, kudos to the Democracy Fund for grabbing a thoughtful and articulate free agent like Dr. Panessi. The right thing to do and great to have her on the team. Looking forward to seeing more from her in the future. Yeah, I'm absolutely delighted. She's such a great uh, advocate for ethics and she's uh, a good communicator, very smart. I'm very pleased that she's with the Democracy Fund and she'll be speaking at uh, the event tomorrow night in Whitby, Ontario. And you can find a link to that event below this video. You can join it in person if you're in the greater Toronto area or online by Zoom. That's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And I'm going to leave you now with a video of Drea Humphrey out in Vancouver covering union members who have not been represented by their union. Take a look. Through this pandemic, the economy has been able to limp along and keep things hanging on by a thread. But what do we think is going to happen? Supply chain workers in these industries are forced out of their jobs by vaccine mandates. The Canadian area ILWU, that's the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, put out a request to Transport Canada to not mandate vaccination for ILWU workers. The, the ILA, the International Longshore Association, and the IDC, the International Dock Workers Council, have also issued statements in support of medical freedom. By the healthcare worker I know, um, he's, he has four patients who developed myocarditis after their shot. This includes one nurse who collapsed hiking after his shot. Search and rescue had to help her out. One of his patients is an ER nurse who told a 20-year-old who had a heart attack about 24 hours after their shot and died. 20 years old, dead. or somewhere else. This is Vancouver area. About 20 months ago when this so-called COVID pandemic hit, I knew instantly because of the work that I've been doing that our problem was not COVID, it was communism. Yeah. This is what we're up against. Just leave us alone. That's what one of Canada's largest unions has to say when it comes to the idea of making their dock workers be mandated for the COVID-19 vaccine. Drea Humphrey here with Rebel News standing at 800 Barrard Street with about a group of 150 people behind me here to support longshoremen. Now why? This is a preemptive protest actually against the COVID-19 mandates that haven't actually been slapped down on the longshoremen. The longshoremen that are here at the protest say they're not allowed to talk to media, but we were able to capture some of their speeches, which we will show to you in just a moment in this report. But they believe the writing is on the wall. At any moment, things could change. And they too, like many other professions, may start to see a mandate for a COVID-19 vaccination 
which will cause shortages of employees and can trickle down to more things that could eventually even affect the food chain of Canadians. Now, like I said, you're going to hear from this, but I want to point out that at this very moment, their union has actually stuck up for them, stuck up for their bodily autonomy. According to LifeSite News, the International Longshore and Warehouse Union Canada is asking the federal government to stay out of its business when it comes to vaccines. ILWU's President Rob Ashton says that our track record speaks for itself this far into the pandemic, and we feel that what we have been and continue to do is working very well, and no third-party intervention is necessary. Now, I said that this was preemptive, this protest, meaning at this very moment, the union is in fact seeming to be supporting the longshoremen here. But what isn't happening is the backing off of the federal government. They are still saying, because these are federal workers of sorts, that they need to be fully vaccinated by November 15th or else. We're going to talk to some of the activists who are able to speak because they've come together. There's some familiar faces in the Vancouver's Freedom Movement. They're allowed to speak on camera and we're going to show you some of their speeches now. But before we do, please go to fightvaccinepassports.com. We are challenging the BC government, other governments across Canada. We are also taking on mandate cases where employers are trying to coerce their employees into taking the jabs or else. So if you want to help join us on that fight, please go to Fight Vaccine Passports and donate what you can. There are people, a whole lot of people, the ones who are on the hesitant side of this debate that are losing their freedom of choice. They're being told that they must take the vaccine or lose their job. This is not a position anyone should ever be put in. It's not a decision that anyone should ever have to make. Not in a free society. The people are put in this position, there will be countless numbers of workers who will not take the vaccine and will walk away from their jobs. The people in the building behind us are the ones responsible for enacting policies that affect the air, marine, and rail industries, which fall under federal jurisdiction. Policies that have extremely damaging potential for our daily lives. Through this pandemic, the economy has been able to limp along and keep things hanging on by a thread. But what do we think is going to happen? Supply chain workers in these industries are forced out of their jobs by vaccine mandates. Uh, a couple days ago, one of my best friends went and got his uh, first Pfizer shot. He was coerced into it and forced. And he's in the hospital the next day. So uh, he had highs break out over all of his body and uh, he's still in severe pain. Um, it's extremely sad. I'm also going to read something from uh, a healthcare worker to protect him. I'm not going to use his name or, or field, but a healthcare worker I know. Um, he's, he has four patients who develop myocarditis after their shot. This includes one nurse who collapsed hiking after her shot. Search and rescue had to help her out. One of his patients is an ER nurse who told a 20-year-old who had a heart attack about 24 hours after their shot and died. 20 years old, dead, locally here. This is all local stuff, not US or somewhere else. This is Vancouver area. One 13-year-old locally had a stroke, stroke 48 hours after the shot, lived, thankfully. 13, a stroke. His dad is a uh, in the same field. He has a, a patient that was paralyzed after his shot. 
Paralyzed. This is no joke. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I just don't want to be forced into taking something with no long-term studies. All right, Tim, you're here. You came here. Uh, tell us what you do and why you came. So I am a teacher in BC here and a port worker. I substitute teach and do a little bit of each job. I um, am here because I'm concerned about uh, vaccine mandates and uh, they're not here yet for my employment, employment but they will be soon. Um, it's expected in both, uh, both jobs. I may lose my house, uh, life savings, everything if I don't get a shot. It's, uh, it's a terrible situation for anybody to be in. So a lot of people getting fired for a lot of reasons right now. You're here at this protest and I couldn't help that it says fired and you're also wearing uh, a paramedic jacket. So what happened? Uh, what happened was I refused to give out my uh, personal medical information when they asked me if I had a vaccine or not. I never told them I didn't have it. I just didn't tell them I did. I said it was none of their business. They keep asking me. I kept refusing to answer. And now they're assuming that I'm not vaccinated. So they're terminating me as of uh, Monday. Isn't that insane? I mean, there's actual privacy laws in place. They don't even know. You could be vaccinated. I don't know if you're vaccinated, but people could be losing their job just for protecting their privacy right now. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, there's three, about 300, we think maybe a little bit more, three or 400 paramedics out of 4,500 right, that are so, being fired. So I got to ask you, you're here at uh, a protest in solidarity with the longshoremen. You've got a lot in common, it sounds like. Uh, what was the most, have you been able to hear what they're saying and what is the most thing that stood out the most for you? What stood out most for me, the reason I'm here, is because my union won't protect me. They won't, they, won't, they won't speak out on my behalf. And they've said they've tried and they're not going to get anywhere. So I'm like, well, I need to go hang out with a union that maybe has some power and that might be able to speak out for me and for people that are standing up. Um, I've given up on my union that way. Um, my union meeting convention is on on Tuesday, the 26th. Uh, that's the same day the PHO order has come out that I that I I as a non-vax person cannot go into a building with more than 50 people in it. And my union has now told me that uh, I can't even show up and defend myself or ask them why they didn't defend me. So you, I don't think that's a coincidence that my union and this order are coming out on the same day. And I also believe. That, that they're picking off the weak unions first. They picked off the carriages. they're picking off us because we're terribly weak, we have no power. We're just a really small part of CUPE. CUPE, uh, CUPE doesn't even listen to us. So really, they're picking off the weak sisters first. I'm hoping, as it goes down the line with the longshoremen, that there will be uh, some fight there. So can I ask you, what is it about you that just was like, you know what, a job is a job, I'm gonna take this stand now? You ask me why I'm giving up my job? Yeah. I'm giving up my job that I absolutely love. I've never loved my job more than I do. Uh, as I was driving the ambulance the other day, I thought, I'm going to give this up. All right, I'm going I'm to let it get taken away from me. Because uh, there's a bigger fight. There's a bigger fight for my grandkids. Right? I've watched people talk about this COVID thing. I've watched kids. You know, the whole kid thing just scares me a lot. And, I, and I, if I don't stand up now and I start going down the line trying to dodge and weave, I'm, I, right now is my place to stand up and say no. Brothers and sisters, we are gathered here today to stand up. This is the most crucial point in our lives. And many of you would agree, this is also the most important time in our known history. 
We are up against so much government-funded media, unprecedented censorship, and the takeover of systems that we depend on in society. Systems that are supposed to represent us, keep us healthy, and protect our freedoms are showing us that they do not work for us. for Canada, another one of the activists who's been fighting for freedom out on the west side here for quite some time. Why did you come to stand in solidarity with the longshoremen? Well, you know, as we know that uh, every time a group is sort of having a wake-up call, which is really what's happened here uh, massively since Justin Trudeau had announced that federal workers need to be uh, jabbed with this injection. And, and so uh, for months I'd actually been working with one of the longshoremen as they have been expressing their concerns. So I'm guessing that many of you here are probably feeling a little uneasy in the workplace these days. Would that be uh, an accurate statement? Courage. 
and it can be intimidating. Most of you would never have considered attending an event like this in the past because you've never had to fight to be able to keep your job and put food on the table for your family. Am I right? But yet here we are. And I want to let every single one of you know something. I am so, so proud of you for standing up today. It takes courage. Please give yourself and people around you a big, a big round of applause because this is a big deal, you guys. A lot of new faces here because of the mandates. It has to make you wonder what's going on across Canada with the culture. Uh, how would you explain being out here for months and trying to wake people up to now seeing little pods coming out all on their own and having basically the same concerns that uh, groups like yours have had for a while? Yeah, it's, it's promising and it's reassuring. I don't think anybody would be coming out if they weren't feeling their pain points, right? Like if we're not, if, if people don't think that this is gonna affect them, they're not going to shift, they're not gonna move. And Alicia gave a really great point is that all of this pressure that it takes to create diamonds and all of these people are in the process of being turned into little diamonds. We would all be still sitting complacent if we weren't feeling it in our pain points. For me, it was the very beginning, it was the school system, it was the masks on the kids. You know, for some people it's their jobs now and their livelihood and being able to put food on the food on the table for their families. So, you know, the nurses were feeling it and the doctors were feeling it you know, several weeks ago back in September and now we've got it down to our dock workers and I mean, this is going to affect every single person. This is the thing that I don't think that people understand is that this building and the people that are employed through this building. It's your dock workers, it's yeah. like, it's the ferries, it's the postal, it's like all of these industries that literally make our society function. The wheat, the, the, the bread on your table, the toilet paper for your butt, like everything yeah. is all transported and you're not going to have access to all of these regular little things that you take for granted on uh, just on a regular daily basis are not going to be as easily accessible. We knew that there was going to be food and supply shortages. We knew this a year and a half ago. We didn't know how it was going to play out. Yeah. And mandating a vaccine to thousands of people who are not wanting to sign up for an experimental shot that has got no long-term side effects on it is certainly a way to get rid of a ton of people that is already on a bottleneck system that now there's going to be even that much more pressure when thousands of people walk off the job. This is just one little pod compared to what's happening across the country right now. So they needed our support. We're in full support of them. There's a lot of us that have been fighting this fight for a long time. They're feeling it in their pain point. Society is not going to function like this for very long. No. So they'll feel it. We'll all go through some bumps and bruises, I think. But I think eventually we're all going to come out on the side, side on the shiny, sunny side of things, right? Uh, I hope you're right. Hope Thank so. you so much. Thanks, Dre. Talk to you guys. We can't stand for this division any longer, nor this medical tyranny. If you agree, go to fightvaccinepassports.com. Donate what you can. All of the money goes straight to the civil liberties charity that we've built in partnership with the Democracy Fund. None of the money goes to Rebel News. It goes to help Canadians across this country fight this tyranny. Drea Humphrey for Rebel News.